0: My friend meditates to escape from life but I find this works faster. You know that neither one works for very long. All right, so where would Jesus go? Who would he talk to? What would he say? That's what we're doing in this series. If you got a hint about what we might be talking about the conversation we're having today, Uh, Before I reveal it to you, let's let's bow our hearts in prayer. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the gift of your truth and the power it brings to our lives. And we pray that, Father, today as we study your truth, that it would stir us up that we would have conversations with people, all kinds of people that you love, so that they might know and have this saving message of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Father, use your word to shape us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, let me, uh, let me give you a little quiz. What do these guys have in common? Tiger Woods, Steve Jobs, Harrison Ford, and Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Well, we know that they're what? They're famous people, right? Oh, well, maybe we have to show the picture this way. <laughs> Such a cute couple. But they're famous people, right? They've, they've got money or had money. And, and so we know those things. But they're also celebrities that, be- that say their religion is Buddhism. And that's our conversation for today. In fact, I didn't really know much more about Buddhism a couple of weeks ago until when I got this assignment. I'm going, oh man, I'm going to have to do some study. But I did know that if you go and Google celebrity Buddhists, you're going to get a really long list. And and for some reason, they're attracted to this particular philosophy, religion, Buddhism. And so I've spent the last couple of weeks trying to figure out what I would say if I stand in front of you guys for 20 minutes or so, and um, well, you know, as I studied Buddhism, as I got into it, I found myself, you know, kind of thinking, really? Do you, they believe that? You know, kind of that attitude, you know, maybe you've had that at times with you've studied religions and, that are different than ours, and it's, it's easy to slip into that. So as we start today, I just wanted to, to remind us all of this verse, remind myself of this verse, that when we speak about another person, you know, that we have to make sure that when we speak truth, that we're doing it in love. So important, because it's a human being that God loves. That we would speak truth, but we have to do it in love. Because you can't have, you can't have truth without love, but you can't have love without truth. It's, they're just like, put together, you can't pull them apart. But we need to remember, because as we study people who are different than we are, it's easy to slip into that. Let me share with you some of the things I learned about Buddhism. First of all, it's the fourth largest religion in the world. And quite frankly, lots of people don't call it a religion. They call it a philosophy. There is no personal God. There is no God that you relate to as a person. In fact, getting rid of self, as we'll hear, is really the objective. So it's also in the U.S. there's about 3.5 million Buddhists about 1% of the population, which doesn't seem to me to be very big. I don't know about you, but 1% doesn't seem very large. But they have celebrity endorsements. They have a celebrity in the Dalai Lama who hundreds of thousands of people have heard speak. And whenever he comes to do a lecture circuit, I mean, he fills large venues seeking the Dalai Lama's wisdom. We have this issue of karma in our Uh, culture that is very very much part of what we believe about what america believes is what goes around comes around that you know you get what you deserve that kind of thing and and so that's a big part i mean there's even apps for your phone that tell you how to do breathing exercises and meditation exercises to disengage from anxiety to uh be mindful throughout the day keep those two words or concepts in in your mind as we go through this message you know, the, the school systems teach mindfulness now. I was going through the information about Buddhism with my wife, and she's a public school, she works in a public school, and they teach mindfulness to children. So it has, Buddhism has a bigger impact in our world, the philosophy, than just the number of Buddhists. And so it's important that we understand, really, what all that is about, and that we understand how it differs from what we believe as Christians. So let's look at the history of Buddhism. We begin with the the founder of Buddhism, Siddhartha Gautama, born in 563 BC. He was born a Hindu. We studied Hinduism last week. He's born a Hindu, a prince in India, and he has everything you can imagine. He lives inside of these palaces with great high walls, and he gets all the pleasure and all the indulgence. He gets to do this for several years in his life until he finally takes some trips outside the palace walls, and here's what he sees. He sees suffering. He sees old people who are suffering and people with diseases that are suffering and poverty that are suffering. He sees people that, even though they're facing suffering, they seem to somehow have some joy. And he begins to ask he begins to ask this question: "Why does suffering exist? And what could he do about it? He made it his quest to try to figure out the problem of suffering. It's a big issue in the world today. It's a big issue for people who don't believe in God. It's even a challenge and a struggle for you and I as Christians. Because, I mean, we just don't understand why there's so much pain. And so what Gautama does is he he disengages from his family and wealth. He leaves it all behind. And he goes out to study with gurus and, and to meditate the night that he leaves his palace is the night his first child is born. And Rahula is the name, and it means shackles. He literally unshackled himself from family and wealth to go out and, and figure this problem out, this question out. But it shows you that the idea of disengagement or detachment, is, as it's sometimes called, is a central part of Buddhism. You'll hear it again in just a minute. After his meditative time and being coached by the gurus, At a certain point, as he sat under a fig tree, he said, I have seen it. I understand it. I have been enlightened, which is what the word Buddha means. And so we have the founder of Buddhism. He's the first one, a disenfranchised Hindu, who brings some of his teachings from Hindu, as we'll see, into Buddhism to answer the question of why does suffering exist? Now, you know, sometimes when we think of Buddha, we probably think of a statue that looks like that of him meditating, because meditation is central to Buddhism. But it's also possible that you've seen, as you entered into a Chinese restaurant, a Buddha that looks like this. Did you ever rub the belly of the Buddha for good luck, right? Anybody ever do that? Okay, you're not going to admit it. A few people I see, okay. Well, who's this guy? Well, he is, a, he is a bodhisattva. He is a Buddha that came later to help people become enlightened. He lived about a thousand years ago in China. And uh, he didn't disengage from candy. He loved candy, as maybe you can tell. (laughs) But you'll see different Buddhas, and you'll see this as we go through uh, the rest of this history. You'll see that there are different Buddhas. So just understand that there is the historical founding Buddha, but there are other teachers in Buddhism. Let's look at the teachings. There are um, four noble truths that we start with. But just, just let, me, let me just say that there are actually 84,000 teachings of Buddha. I did not spend my time to go through all 84,000. Tried to get just the essentials. So I thought maybe you'd want a little shorter sermon this morning than that. But let's look at these four noble truths. The first one is simply this, that life is suffering, and we understand that. Jesus said something similar. He said, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We, there's a problem. There's something wrong in our, in our world, and there will be suffering. It's a guarantee. We all know that. We understand that. And so he said, life is suffering. He says, suffering is caused by desire. Now, it's not just desire for things that are, that are bad for you that he says causes suffering, but even good things, relationships, and so forth, that if, because if you desire them, you may be disappointed, you may be unfulfilled. And if that happens, it would be create suffering in your life. So suffering is caused by desire. So therefore, suffering can end by detachment or disengagement, decoupling from things, not holding on to things too tightly. And that's the path that he demonstrated in his own life and taught to his followers to be detached. And he said, look, this is how you do it. You follow something called the Eightfold Path. And there are also five moral precepts. And that will control suffering in your life. It will control your karma. It will give you a shot at nirvana, which is the ultimate goal in Buddhism. Let's look quickly at the Eightfold Path so you'll understand the different elements, the different right things that you have to do, right understanding, thought, speech, action, livelihood, effort, mindfulness, concentration. You have to get all that right. You have to practice that throughout your life to control karma, to make sure that you have good karma so that at the end of your life you can reach your final destination, which is nirvana. There are five moral precepts, which are good moral rules. I wish everyone lived by these moral rules that they put forth in Buddhism. Don't take a life. Don't take what is not given. Um, Avoid taking that. Avoid sexual misconduct, speaking falsely, drinking drugs that cloud the mind. These are good ideas. Part of the Buddhist path. The challenge, of course, as we said before and last week we introduced in the concept of Hinduism, is you have to control your karma. Karma is what goes around, comes around. See, and 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 the world believes that this is this is a lot of people believe that this is exactly what controls life. As we'll see in a minute, it's a little more complex than that. But for the Buddhist, karma is central. It's central because it controls not only suffering, the cycle of suffering, in other words, if you have good karma, you're not going to have suffering. It also controls rebirth and redeath, the idea of reincarnation. Which again came from Hinduism. It's a little different though in Buddhism because Hindus believe you can come back as a different life form, like a bug or a tree or whatever. Buddhists believe you only come back as a person. But the ultimate goal is to escape, in both cases, the cycle of rebirth and redeath. Nirvana is the ultimate liberation. That's the word that's used, nirvana, state of total liberation and freedom from the cycle of rebirth and redeath. I said that earlier, the idea of a personal God is not in Buddhism. It's not there. It's, it's about losing self, becoming one with everything else. And, and so the, the goal here is to end self in Buddhism. God, You don't have a personal relationship with God that's going to know you and, and, and love you. You become one with everything else. It's the end of suffering. You know, Buddhists have a pretty good sense of humor, and they even joke about this. A Buddhist went to a sandwich maker and said, make me one with everything. You guys were much quicker on that than uh, the 9 o'clock crowd. So uh, he got his sandwich, he paid for it, he's expecting change back, and he asked the guy who made the sandwich, where's my change? And the guy says, change comes from within. All right, so I tell you the joke simply so you'll know. And don't, that's basically Buddhism. And they joke about it because it is about nirvana, the ultimate goal. And that change to get to nirvana can be found within, that you can live differently. But it's very complex, and I've simplified it greatly just for the purpose of time. This week, I went to the Buddhist library that's over on Ogden Avenue. It used to be just down the street here in the mall. Uh, they've moved and I spent some time there to learn what I could about Buddhism. And I was met by a very wonderful volunteer named Chot. And she spent time with me. She gave me a tour. She showed me materials. She gave me some materials, you know, different things to read. And uh, she explained what they do there in this, in this library. And uh, they actually gather on Sunday mornings for meditation. And these are the different shrines to different Buddhas, as we talked about a minute ago, that, that they would meditate, right now probably, are meditating in front of, trying to have the right thoughts and the right concentrations. She invited me to meditate on Sunday. She said, come on Sunday. I said, oh, you know, I think I'm busy. <laughs> but I would like to go. I'd like to watch it. I'd like to see it. I'd like to understand it. And I asked her, I said, do you meditate? And she said, yes, yes, oh, yes, I meditate. And here, this, this wonderful lady, I really enjoy my time with her. She's a very pleasant older lady, very encouraging, very calm, very, very relaxed, very, you know, centered. And you could tell that, you know, some of the things that she's doing, I mean, she's really living it. And, and, and she's promoting it. I mean, she's the face of Buddhism. I can see why people are attracted. And she says, yes, I meditate. I meditate and, and I'm older now and I'm thinking about the day that I die and I just don't want to lose consciousness before that point. I don't want to have any kind of disease where that would be because I want to be able to keep the right mind. And then then if I can keep the right things in my mind and the right thoughts, then I will go to nirvana. I will become one. I will go to pure land, as she called it. And it was at that moment, quite frankly, where I sat there and I said, you know what? This is a whole lot more than just an academic exercise for me. This is human being." A human being that doesn't understand what we have as Christians. A human being that I don't know where she's going to spend eternity. because, quite frankly, the Bible doesn't give you any indication she would be with God at her death. I thought to myself, you know what? These conversations are so important, so important. And about that time, she got interrupted. I was hoping for a longer conversation, but I do know when she works. I want you guys to pray for me that I'd go back. That I would continue a conversation because this is more than an academic exercise of learning about religion. This is about the conversations that you and I have every day. Because it's, whether it's Buddhist or other religions or not, believe, not believer, people who don't believe at all, our conversations are important. So let's, let's just talk a minute about what Jesus might say. If I get to go back, maybe what I'll say. To a Buddhist. First of all, we would note that whenever, as I've already said, whenever we approach another person, wherever Jesus would approach a person, it would be in love, wouldn't he? He'd speak whatever he was going to say, he would speak in love, but he wouldn't leave out truth. Such a tension, isn't it? You know, because you think about love as being, you know, we're just not going to offend, we're going to be correct in our speech, and our, but you know, it's not loving not to tell the truth. You can't have truth without love, you can't have love without truth. So Jesus would approach in love, he would, he would be concerned for the person, so important, he's concerned with not winning the argument, concerned with the person and their eternal destiny. <laughs> the first thing that Jesus would say is simply this, that karma, karma can't fully explain suffering. Since karma is such, the center point of Buddhism is so important that we begin to help them see, because you know, we know from our own experience, don't we, we know that, that well, bad things happen to good people, don't they? Have you ever noticed that? But we also know that, that good things happen to bad people. Karma can't fully under explain. We can't fully understand suffering through karma. Now, we know that if, if we make personal choices, sometimes it affects us. We get that. We understand that. But it's bigger than that. In Christianity, instead of relying on the idea of karma, there's a sharp divide. We believe, and Jesus would talk about the problem of sin. You see, we have, as the world, we have the problem of sin, and Jesus would want to explain that because God, what he did in creation, he said, in my sovereignty, I want to create a being for relationship. I want a relationship based upon love. In order to have love, you have to have choice. I'm going to give that being free will, and guess what? We chose to be disobedient. And since that time, we have, we have been, we've been releasing the power of sin in the world, And we see how sin is shattering everything in our world. Our physical existence, nature, disease, relationships with one another. We see how people hurt one another. We see it in our own hearts. And it's not just the behaviors of sin. It's the sinful stain on our heart. It's the sin, singular, that drives us. The Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, look, I'm a wretched man. And he wrote it after talking about how he had such a hard time stopping doing the wrong thing. And how he had such a hard time doing the right thing. You know, it's like, the good that I want to do, I don't do. The bad that I don't want to do, I do. I'm a wretched man who is going to save me. What, is the, what, what can happen to me? Because he could not control the problem of sin. He needed something other than just some guidelines. Moral guidelines in Uh, judaism or even for a buddhist in buddhism sin is a deeper problem that and he goes on to talk about it in the next chapter he says the whole world is groaning because of the power of sin it's groaning it's waiting for its deliverance and if you look at the bold text here he says we wait paul writes we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons the redemption of our bodies that's what god wants to do At some point in time, you and I will live in eternity where there's no more pain and no more tears, no more sickness, no more illness. Because Jesus would tell a Buddhist, I'm going to end suffering. I'm going to recreate the perfect world that I envisioned in the beginning. The second thing that Jesus would want a Hindu, I mean a Buddhist to know, is simply that he will end suffering. Someday we have that promise in our world, in our lives. There's a man named Ravi Zacharias. Maybe you've heard of him. He is an apologist, a Christian apologist. He wrote this book. It's an imaginary conversation between Jesus and Buddha and Priya, a young woman. A young woman who was sold into prostitution by her parents. Now, this is a fictitious story. But Ravi is a study, he's a student, he's he's associated with Cambridge and and many other big universities around the world. He knows what he's talking about when he's representing different religions. He's a Christian. And and this imaginary discussion, Priya comes to Buddha and says, What can I do? I'm dying of AIDS. How can you help me? How can Buddhism help me in in this moment, in this time of suffering? This is what Buddha says. Free yourself now from the illusions of God and the forgiveness of an individual life hereafter. Invest in a life of good deeds that will outweigh the bad ones. That's your only hope. Make your heart pure, and that will offset all of your impure acts or thoughts. This is a summation of what it means to follow Buddha. This is what happens in the middle of suffering if you follow Buddha. This is why we have compassion on people who don't know Jesus. On the other hand, as Jesus speaks to Priya, he uses her name, first of all, because self is important in Christianity. God wants a personal relationship with you, individually. You don't lose that, ever. We are special. We are masterpieces made that way to be in a relationship with God. And and Jesus says, I paid for it, Priya. Old things can pass away and I can make All things new. I took the evil and suffering of this world. I bore it on my body. I carried your heartaches and your sorrows so that you can remove the weight of wrong and put it on my shoulders. Everything that Priya thought she had done wrong and needed to try to correct, Jesus takes. He says, I'll take it. Put it on me. Put it on me. He ends this little section. He says, I came into the world to bear those very sins. What an incredible difference in response in the, mi- in the middle of suffering between Jesus and Buddha. The primary difference to me and the one that I cling to is the idea of relationship. And, you know, I can depend on Jesus in the middle of my suffering. A Buddhist can't. And Jesus would want to say to a Buddhist that, that I, I want to be with you in your suffering. We're going to have it. It's going to to occur. We're going to have suffering. We agree on that point. Jesus says, I will be with you always. I'll never leave you or forsake you. The Buddha says a prayer called the Triple Gem. And the Triple Gem is, I will take refuge in the Buddha. I will take refuge in the Dharma. I will take refuge in the Sangha. Jesus says, No, I'll, I will take up residence in you. I will send my spirit to you. I will live in you. I will have a personal relationship with you. I am with you always. It's such an incredible difference, especially important when we are suffering. But Jesus would also want the Buddhists to know that he's going to redeem our suffering. One of the most popular verses in the Bible is this one. It's Romans 8, 28. And people claim it all the time when things don't go well in their lives. They say, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And in this verse, you see that there's a promise. God is going to make all things work together for good. And oftentimes we want it to be our what we conceive as good. But what is God's good purpose? What is he really talking about here? He's saying, look, I have promises in Scripture. I will walk with you in this life. I will do that. But his goal is not this life. His goal is forever with him. It's hard for us as earthbound people to get that picture, but this is what he's saying. And the all things that he's talking about here isn't necessarily aligning all the things that we're wanting to do to make it work out. Paul defines all things a little bit later. He says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? It's tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword. Those are the kinds of things that God is going to redeem. He's going to use in our lives. He's going to use those to make sure we know that he is with us in relationship. He's walking with us He's supplying the, the comfort and the strength to walk even in the middle of suffering. And He's promising that we will even be more than conquerors through Him, even in the middle of suffering. Whether it's death or life or angels or rulers or present things to come, nor powers or height or depth or anything else in all of creation will not be able to separate us from the love of Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the promise. This idea of redeeming suffering, I ran across this story. It's about a young girl named Ashlyn Blocker. She can't feel pain. She has a congenital problem. She can't feel pain. She's born that way, and her—you can see the patch over her eye. The reason the patch is there is that um, she scratched her eye. She would scratch her eye. She can feel it. She wouldn't cry when she did that, like we would. She would just continue to scratch, and she ended up blinding herself because of that. Imagine raising a child that can't feel pain. Imagine that you couldn't couldn't take your eyes off you'd have to be with them the entire time because there's no protective warning system that if something bad happened that that, that something was actually wrong. And the prayer of the parents, there's there's several kids in the world, not many, like 50, that have this disease. The prayer is, I pray that my child would feel pain. Now why? Because it's a warning sign. And for you, and for me, that's what we have to think about. When we feel pain, it's a warning sign. There is something wrong in our world, and that something wrong is sin. And it's shattered our existence. But we know that Jesus has already solved this problem. We know that, that we have the world to come. We know that he's going to walk with us through this pain. And he's not only going to redeem our suffering, he's actually he's going to use it to give us hope. He's going to use it to actually help us endure what we have to go through in this life. He's going to give us the strength to walk. This verse from Romans 5, uh, verses 1 through 5, Paul writes it this way. He says, we rejoice in our suffering. Can you imagine? I can't. But we rejoice in our sufferings. But as we do that, as as you go through suffering, it produces endurance in your life. And endurance produces character. It builds your character. If you've ever walked with Jesus through suffering, you know what happens, how it changes you. And that character produces hope because hope does not put us to shame. We know who we are in Christ. And even though we face difficulty in our world, we can have hope. Hope that Jesus is there, we know he is, and hope for the future. Because all of that has been, through God's love, poured into our And to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It came for relationship. It's not about being detached. Jesus says, no, become attached. To me. To one another. Love God. Love one another. This is what it means to follow Christ. This is the difference, the fundamental difference between a Buddhist and a Christian. That we understand that God is with us. He's always with us. As I mentioned, as I go through this, exercise of trying to learn and find out about Buddhism, this verse that we started with keeps coming back to me. It's, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, not a truth, but the way, the truth. And I realize that, once again, that this is so much more than some sort of academic exercise about learning about world religions. That we've been entrusted and given, we've been given the truth, and that truth changes us. And should drive us and give us passion for reaching out to others. It's my prayer that that would happen. Because the rest of that verse says people are lost if they don't know the way. The truth. And the lie. You and I aren't, but people are. And God is calling us to show them the way. That we would go where Jesus would go. We would speak to the people he wants us to speak to. We would say the things in love, that he would say. I pray that that would be true in your life this week, that you would would encounter and begin those conversations. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your truth at work in our lives. And we pray that you would use them powerfully to guide and shape our lives, that you would help us to know where to go, what to say, who to speak with, that we would do that in love. We thank you, Father, for the blessings of truth as as it works in our lives, the truth of your Son, the way, the truth, and the life that leads us to you. We thank you for that gift, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for spending some time in God's Word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois, where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Would you like to know more about a relationship with Christ or more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or a growth group? Please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T-L-C, the number four, and the letter U.org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.